At this time, we would encourage our children to head on to Children's Church. We provide Children's Church for those uh, from nursery all the way up to second grade. So I think if you've completed second grade, you can still head to the nursery. Not the nursery. That wouldn't be nice. Uh, you can head to Children's Church. That's a, that's a bad sign of how things are going to go this morning. So this morning... You may see in your bulletin that we were going to continue on in the book of Titus, but I am here this morning to inform you that that's not going to happen today. And instead, we are going to be looking at a lot of scripture today and a lot of different scriptures today, but we will start with the reading of scripture. And so I would ask that everybody please stand in reverence of the reading of scripture. And today I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 139. Verses, six, verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, we read these words. For you formed me, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, my eyes have seen, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained to me, when as yet they had not, I had not yet lived one of them. Please be seated. On Friday, the Supreme Court gave their ruling in a t the case of Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. And in doing so, they overturned the decision of Roe v. Wade, as well as Planned Parenthood versus Casey. What this ruling meant was that the Supreme Court had changed their position on whether abortion was a right of people protected by the Constitution. And in doing so, they deferred the legality and the access of abortion to the states to decide for themselves. It has become a matter for legislature and for government leadership and no longer something protected by the Constitution. And needless to say, there was a reaction. Both the mainstream media News sources like CNN, Fox News, and ABC, as well as social media, immediately exploded with both sides overwhelming us with their opinion on this historic case. Many, even many in this room today, have been making their opinion known about this issue for the last several weeks especially since the rough draft of the majority ruling was leaked online. So I'm sure you as well as I cannot say that we are surprised by how some have been so quickly to anger and that they have spewed that anger onto Facebook as well as every other place where they might share their opinion or get people to listen. I was at children's camp. When the news came, sitting in a room full of 10-year-old boys and Rodney, and almost immediately I noticed that my Facebook, as well as every news source, was absolutely saturated 
with talk of this decision. Since Friday all the way to even this morning, I, and I'm sure you have as well, been bombarded by articles, memes, pictures, and rants about what the Supreme Court decided on Friday. I'm not surprised by any of this. Make no mistake, Friday was a historic day. But there was something that did surprise me. See, I was surprised. In fact, I was shocked and saddened by the response of many people that I thought were followers of Jesus. As I read the opinions of people who thought who I thought were followers of Jesus, people who identified with Christians, some I've known for a few weeks, others I have known for decades. It astounded me. I was shocked at how many did not hold what I would consider to be a Christian position on the issue of abortion. Along with this, my heart was broken. And I was saddened to see so many who would claim Christ and yet their response to the decision was not a Christian response regardless of their position. So today I'm going to address both. I'm going to try to answer the question, what is the Christian position on abortion? And what should the Christian response be to the Supreme Court's decision on Friday? And to do so, we are going to get into a lot of Scripture. Let us begin with the Christian position on abortion. Now, I want to make something clear as we begin this conversation. I am not giving you a position in trying to win a lost person to my side. I'm wanting to communicate to people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to believe what the Word of God says, where you ought to stand in light of the fact that you believe what the Word of God says. If I were going to go and talk to someone who I did not know whether they were a follower of Jesus or not, I would use different arguments. I would have different talking points. I would say different things. But if you are with us today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then I want you to hear the words of Scripture, to understand the thought and the reasoning behind it, to see why this is the Christian position. If you are not a Christian and you are here because you've been held hostage by someone who drug you here, and you hold a position that is going to be different from the Christian position, I pray that at the very least you will listen for the purpose of understanding why we believe what we believe. Is that fair? Let us begin. The Christian position starts with this. We believe, and Scripture reveals to us, that life begins at inception. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 begin this understanding for us that we have already read. David, in writing to the Lord, in writing this psalm, he acknowledges that, that God had formed his inward parts and even in his mother's womb, he was putting him together. That his frame was, it says, that when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought, wrought, wrought in the depths of the earth, he is talking about a child being developed in the womb. 
He says that the Lord's eyes had seen his unformed substance and all and the book and in his book all were, were all written the days that were ordained for him. I'll get it out eventually. Don't worry. David was acknowledging that before he passed through any canal, before he came to be named David by his mother and father, that God in heaven knew him and was making him and had already known the days of his life. God did not see a subhuman in the womb of his mother, but he saw David. And knew that David would one day be king of Israel. We say that we see this same type of speech when God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 1.5 we read this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Once again, we see that God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah and he is speaking about who he was before he was born. He says in God's eyes, he knew Jeremiah. He knew who he was. He knew everything about him, even while he was still growing in the womb. And he was a part of that process that he formed him. He knew him and he had consecrated him to be a prophet. We can go on. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. Now, don't you find it interesting that God identifies himself as the one who formed you from the womb. And this is not an individual. This is not, well, David was special. This is not, well, Jeremiah was special. No, he goes to all of the nation of Israel and says, I formed you in the womb. And each and every one of us in this room, he would say the very same thing about before you cried out your first cry, before you were born, God knew you and he made you and he had a plan for you. Let us look at the New Testament. In Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 39, we read these words. Now, at this time, and this was immediately after, I want to say it again immediately after the angel had spoke to Mary and told her she would be with child. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to the, in the city of Judah. And he entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. 
And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. The first person who ever acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ was a baby in the womb. And I want you to notice something very specific about what it said. It says that baby leapt for joy. The Bible acknowledges that the baby in your womb has emotions and thoughts and feelings. And John the Baptist, who was that baby in Elizabeth's womb, leapt for joy, knowing that the Savior was nearby. Going even beyond this, notice that Elizabeth is talking to Mary. And even though Mary has only maybe just days prior learned that she is with child, says the mother of my Lord talking about the baby in her womb as though it is right there standing with her. I found it even more interesting as I studied the text that in Luke chapter one, verse 15, the promise is that John the Baptist would be filled with the spirit even while still in the womb. Think about that for just a moment. How could we possibly believe for even a moment that life does not begin in inception when God said that John the Baptist, even while still in the womb, would be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's not, there's no other way to understand it. We have to look, when we look at the text, this is not Josh talking. This is the scripture speaking for itself. I hope you see that. That over and over and over and over again, the Bible speaks of those, the child in the womb as being known by God, formed by God. Then in John the Baptist's case, able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and able to have emotions and react to the things going on around it. That sounds like a person to me. And so if you are a Christian and you believe that this is the very words of God, then we have to start with the premise, begin with the thesis that life begins at inception. Going on. The Christian position says not only that does life begin at inception, but to end an innocent life is murder. We can go to what I fondly call the Big Ten to find confirmation for this. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, in the midst of the Ten Commandments, we read these words, You shall not murder. Well, that might be a little vague. Let's go deeper. Back, let's go backwards a little bit. Let's go back to Noah. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. After the end, in fact, the beginning of chapter 9 begins with the, the, the gift of the rainbow to show that God will no longer flood the earth again. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we read these words. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For it is the image of God that he made man. So now we're getting a little bit more into it. We see that Man has been that that uh, life begins at inception and at the moment of inception, that is a a human being, that that is a being created in the image of God. And then we look to the, the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, and it says that we are commanded not to kill 
another person, commanded not to commit murder, and that this includes, because and it is the, for the very reason that they are created in the image of God. To go to the seriousness of murder, we could go to the very beginning. And in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 9, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. See, God would take something like murder very seriously. And if we believe that life begins at inception, then to terminate that life, the life of an innocent child, how could we call that anything but murder? And if it is murder, we must be aware of the seriousness of that crime. So life begins at inception. To end an innocent life is murder. And finally, we must defend the defenseless. Psalm 82, starting in verse 3, we read these words. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Psalm 82 is beginning as a prayer to God for, for unjust things that are happening. And he, they are crying out to God that he might vindicate, that he might help save, take care of the weak and the fatherless to do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Going to Proverbs 31, uh, King Agar's mother left him with these words. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 8, he says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the one who cannot speak. For the rights of the unfortunate, open your mouth, judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. I have a very close family member who for all intents and purposes, I would think is pro-life. She had a child. When that child had one of its first ultrasound appointments, they notice some things that seem to be abnormalities, and those abnormalities usually point to the idea that that child would be born with Down syndrome. And when she found out she was a single mother, going to be a single mother, when she found out that her child could potentially have Down syndrome, the doctor encouraged her to abort the pregnancy. She chose not to. Ultimately, she decided to keep the baby and then after more tests came along, it revealed that her child was perfectly healthy and that child is now a grown adult and, and, and working hard and an amazing young man. This same woman has spent the last 20 years or more of her life being a nurse in NICU, unit, NICU units throughout Missouri and Illinois. She has been there with children who are in the 20-week span that have been born. She has seen them grow, and she has seen them live. Imagine my shock when I saw that she was pro-choice. When someone asked her about it, she said, I could never do it. 
And when all of this happened to me, I knew I needed to keep my child and I knew that 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 he was going to be my son. And I knew that. And and so I could never do it. But I would never want to tell anybody else that they couldn't do it. And I'm going to be honest with you, I get that. And I think there's probably people in this room or around our our people that may think that way. But we have called to be a defender of the defenseless. We have called we have been called to open our mouths for those who cannot speak. And that means that we are called to advocate, not just for the mother. Though we are called to advocate for the mother. But also for the child that is growing inside her. We cannot just sit on the sidelines. We cannot just say to each their own. But we have to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves and those who cannot speak for themselves. This is the Christian in the biblical position. And I will tell you, you are certainly free to have another opinion, to have another position on this topic. You are free to do so. That is the type of country we live in. That's the type of, of, of age we live in. But I want you to understand this. To do so, you are going to be required to throw aside something that we have read today. You're going to have to acknowledge the reality that there are parts of Scripture that you do not believe. And there are going to be things that the Bible clearly teaches that you have chosen to reject. And that's something that you need to prayerfully consider. I am not here to tell you that you have to do this or get out the door. That is not the type of church we are. That's not what I'm here to do. But you need to faithfully consider whether you hold the Word of God to be the Word of God. This brings us to the Christian response. And I have to be honest, sometimes even you can have the right position, but have a very unchristian and poor response. So we have to ask the question, how do we, as followers of Jesus, respond to the news like we got on Friday? The first thing I would say that we have to do is we must be humble. God speaking through the prophet Obadiah, which we don't talk about him too often, was speaking to the nation of Edom when they, when they were experiencing the judgment of Judah. And he said these words, he said, do not gloat over your brother's day or the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. 
is very tempting for us, those that hold the position that I had mentioned before, it is very tempting for us to speak arrogantly and condescendingly on places like social media and other such sources towards those who hold a different position than our own. But God calls us not to do that because that only further confirms their belief that we hate them, that we are against them, that we are at enmity one to another. Instead, the Bible says this, Psalms 5.5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, speaking to God, and you hate all who do iniquity. Going further, 1 Peter 5.6 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. We need to be very thoughtful and how we respond to people and how we engage those who have a different belief than us. Because they believe what they believe for a reason too. Make no mistake, we can look at the scripture and we can look at the things and we can believe what we believe for, for the, because of scripture, we can believe if you are pro-life, you can believe that and have a thousand reasons why. But make no mistake, they have their reasons too. And so when we talk to them dismissively and condescending them, when we boast and we gloat over them, all they see is that we are hateful people and that we are their enemy. And they will never listen to a word that we have to say. So let us respond with grace and with humility, seeking what is best for all involved so that the best outcome can come from it. Not only must we be humble, but we must be loving. Ephesians 4, 15 says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to tell the truth. We are to be open and honest with our positions and what we believe. We should be articulate and thoughtful, but everything that we say should be seasoned with love. Not hate, not anger, not malice. Galatians 5.14 says it this way, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who here has ever, in anything in life, just, just keep it light, in a game, lost, and had the team that you were playing against begin to gloat and, and be mean and mock you and, be, and, and just be condescending and rude? Have, have you felt that? I have. I lost to Katie at something in camp, but she, just, she gloated over me horribly. She's competitive. And I felt terrible. Well, I went back to my bunk and I cried for a while. <laughs> but in all seriousness, when you have someone that speaks to you and gloats over you and, and, and treats you poorly and, and is hateful towards you, it hurts. 
And in a situation like this, there are people in our nation and people on our street and people in our work and people all around us, maybe even people in this church who feels like they've lost something critical. And they don't need our judgment. They need our love and our care and our concern and our assurance that we are not their enemy. One of the best things that Clarity Solution offers, and it's one of the things I pray for most fervently when I go over there, is they have a, they have a, a program called The Healing Journey. And there are, are women who, who, for whatever reason, they go through with an abortion. And after they go through that abortion, they begin to, to have basically kind of a PTSD that goes with it. And they, they suffer and they have sorrowful and there's not a lot of places for them to go and talk to about that. And Clarity offers this, these Bible studies and these opportunities for these people to get counseling and to get help and to process what has happened and, and helps them to move forward. That's the response we should have. We should go to the people that think differently. Maybe they've committed abortion. Maybe they've just, they've done abortion. Maybe they've just supported and whatever and, and go to them and say, Hey, I'm not your enemy, but let's come alongside each other and do what is best for child and for mother. We need to go to those that have, have done an abortion, who, who have lived in that life and go to them and respond to them in love and not in judgment. Because we know that we have a God in heaven who responded to us in love and not in judgment. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise up on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? For even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The response from the church today should be overwhelming love, regardless of someone's position. And we need to come alongside those who may even tell us that they hate us and love them anyways. Finally, when we think about the Christian response, we must act. First John chapter three, verse 18 says this little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. If the court's decision on Friday stands, even if it just stands for as long as Roe v. Wade stood before it for the next 50 years. The fight for life is not over. In fact, I dare say the fight for life has just begun.
And the church needs to step up and to show all of those who would say that, that this is going to create all of this devastation and so much trauma, show them that we are ready to love and care and to support and enable and to do all the things that we need to do to make something like abortion not only illegal, but unthinkable. To not just be something that a person can't do, but a per something that a person would not even entertain the thought of. And we don't do that by yelling at people and running down people and creating laws and creating more division and more strife and more hate. But we do so by allowing our love to be to take hands and feet and to actually do the work of loving these mothers and these children. James 1.27 says it this way, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Brothers and sisters, it's time to go. And we have got a lot to prove. And I pray that God will find us faithful. May our religion May the way in which we live before our God be marked by our care for mothers and for children. James goes on to say in James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We cannot relegate this to something else. We can't just hand this off to a few people who feel uniquely called, but every single one of us needs to step up to be humble, to love, and to act as an advocate for both the unborn and the mother. This leads us to our final question, I think, of the day, which is how do we act? How do we put our response into action? And I would say, first, we need to be praying. We start there. Because apart from prayer, we, we really are just doing this on our own. We're doing this free from the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing it our own way with our own ideas and our own actions, and we will miss the mark. We need to pray. We need to pray specifically for mothers. We need to pray for our government. We need to pray for these children. We need to pray for places like Clarity Solutions. One of the first things that Clarity will ask you to do here in town is pray for them. In fact, I would dare challenge you, not only pray, but if you are a retired person in this room and you have even one hour of free time in your week, sign up and make that hour used for prayer at Clarity. Go pray in their building. They have special places in Clarity where you can pray in the administrative building. They have a special place where you can pray in their medical building and say, for one hour every week, I'm going to show up and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to pray for Clarity and for the mothers and for the children and for the fathers and for the volunteers and for the staff. I will tell you this from experience. Don't worry about how you're going to pray for an hour. They have everything you need to sit there and faithfully pray for an hour including naming each mother by name and praying over their names that they might be a good mom, that they might make right decisions, that they will do what is healthy for their baby, and that if adoption is the option, that they would 
do that or of taking care of the baby that they will do that. But we have to go further than this. Second thing I would say that we need to do is we act to support our local pregnancy resource centers as well as children's services. As I mentioned already here in Elizabethtown, we are blessed with the organization Clarity Solutions. You can commit to pray for an hour. You can give. You can make a monthly financial contribution. You can make one financial contribution. You can participate in things like Relay for Life or the Clarity Gala. And you can volunteer. One of the most astounding volunteers I know is a family member for one of our church members. And Miss Cheryl is there week in and week out. In fact, there is rarely a time where I am there that she is not there. I've been blessed to be friends with another uh, not so young lady anymore that's a member of another church in the area. And she has been faithfully volunteering at Clarity since its inception. And even though she is retired and she is she could do whatever she wanted to do, she goes in regularly to serve in their points place area. She is mentoring young women and helping them to be a mom. She is teaching classes to young women on how to live life. And she is astounding. I went in there the other day and this very same woman was just working the reception desk because that's where they needed her. I would challenge you, especially young, I'm going to say young ladies who are retired. Give some of your time to clarity. I know for a fact that some of you are outstanding mothers. I call one of you mom just because I love her so much. Can you go and serve and help the next generation of mothers keep their child and raise their children? I know you can. I know you can. Men, we can do the same thing. Can you donate an hour of your week to pray? To get off work at 5 o'clock and run over to Clarity to sit down one-on-one with a young man who just found out he's going to be a dad. And he has no idea how to be a dad because guess what? He didn't have a dad. Can you sit down and talk with them about their fears or their concerns, about what it means to have a job and to keep it? To how to love your kids and be gracious and understanding while also leading your household in a way that glorifies God. You could do it for one hour every couple of weeks and change the life of not only a father, but a child. If you're not the one-on-one, face-to-face, touchy-feely type of person, you can go and volunteer in Points Place. Help them to organize the store. I have seen the way some of you ladies talk when you hold up a little baby onesie thing. You get to do that for an hour or two if you want to. You can let your voice get this high and you can say, oh my God, this is so cute. And you can do it with your friends and you can have a big old time. And you can get that all set up and do those things. There's a thousand ways that places like Clarity can use every single person in this room, whether they are young or they are old. But it's not just Clarity. It's children's services places like Sunrise, 
who is bringing in kids who are in foster care from the city, often, or not from the city, from the state, often kids who are being removed from houses where there are drugs and, and unsafe environments, often uh, children who, who cannot stay with their parents and need a place to stay. Again, they need our prayer. They need our financial support. They need volunteers. Not that long ago, we had one of those very buildings just at just a stone's throw, if you're a really good thrower, up the hill. And they were always looking for people who would just come and spend time with the kids. There was at one point, they had all these guitars hanging on the wall. And there was a guy from a church in our area that would go there once a week and just teach anyone who wanted to, to learn how to play guitar. Even still to this day, there is a, a, a place like the boys ranch only for ladies in the nearby area. And you can serve and you can help. We can support men and women through unplanned pregnancies. We can be there for those who need us. We can do so through clarity in the volunteer ways we've talked about now, but we can also do so when we have those people in our lives. I would venture to say that many of us in this room have had a sibling, a child, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor, or a coworker who found themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. And oh, the difference it makes when someone lovingly puts their arm around them and says, we will get through this together. And to love them and to help them and to support them and to share their, their and to share with them the resources and the wisdoms that you have, the wisdom that you have. We can also do this by being a church that that has partnered with Clarity as a handoff church, one where people who go to Clarity and go through their programs and do aspire and aim and the things that they do when they are graduating from that to be a church that they can say, hey, have you met Joe at Tunnel Hill? And to be that person, that contact so that they have a friend in a church that will love them and carry them with them as their child grows. Finally, and probably one of the most scary and rewarding things that we as the church can do today is we can get ready to foster and adopt. Because it does stand to reason. If abortion becomes outlawed in our state, which I believe it will, that there'll be a lot more children entering into the foster care system. There will be a lot more children that are going to be looking for parents to adopt. And while the church and Christians already make up more than double those that foster and adopt in our nation today, we still have more. And the state of Kentucky is in one of the largest groups that need help. Will we faithfully, prayerfully consider being foster parents or consider adoption. Because the need is great now. And it's only going to be greater. If you would like more information about fostering or adopting. You can talk to Clarity Solutions. I would talk to Sunrise Children's Services. You can talk to people who do it. As we have families even now connected to our church that foster and that have adopt and they can, they've worked in other organizations and they would love to share with you what it is like 
And if you can't foster or adopt, maybe you can get the training to be respite care for those who do. We have to recognize that the decision of the court on Friday is not a final victory. Rather, it is an opportunity to show the love of Christ to the world in new and exciting ways. And to do so, so that mothers and children and fathers and the world might come to know Christ and his great love that they have for him. I pray from every fiber of my being that as you walk out of here today that you will prayerfully consider to have a Christian position and a Christian response to what's happened on Friday. And I pray that this church becomes a champion for both the unborn and their mothers in Hardin County and beyond. Not so we can be right, but that so God can be glorified and people might come to know Jesus. Now, this is a weird time to give an invitation, but I'm going to give one anyways. I don't know what you've thought or heard about Christianity. And I don't know if I've only concreted what you've thought or heard, or maybe I have opened your eyes just a little bit to who we are and what we believe. But I want to say this. Deep down at the heart of everything is the reality that everyone in this room recognizes that we are sinners saved by grace. That we were dead and through Christ we were made alive. And regardless of where you are, we want to share what that means to you. About what it means to be made alive in Christ. You get it? Life is a big deal for us. And I hope and I pray that you will allow our actions to speak for us. And that you will experience the love of Christ and the truth of who Christ is in who we are and how we love, even as it relates to issues like abortion. And if you would like to know more about what it means to love like Jesus, then we want to give you an opportunity to respond today. However, God is even speaking to you through the message this morning. We invite you to respond. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that, that each and every one of us will, will faithfully consider what was said today. Lord, I pray that we will look at the scriptures and recognize that, that there's a thought here and that there is a thought that, that creates a reason for why we believe what we believe. Lord, I want to challenge each and every one of us here. God, that if we do believe something else, Lord, that we will at least be open to hear what was said today and to, to prayerfully consider these words. But Lord, even beyond that, God, I pray that we as individuals and that we as the church will respond to the events of this last weekend in a way that is humble, in a way that is loving, and in a way to show the world that we care not just for the unborn, but for the unborn and for the mother and for the future of that child. 
And Lord, I pray that by our speech and by our actions, that people might come to know you and know what it means to follow Jesus. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number three, six.